the, the prophecies about Christ's birth and the events of Christ's birth are just saturated with a sense of joy and even euphoria. But it might surprise you that the main reason for that joy is that Jesus is coming as king. And even our Christmas hymns reflect this truth. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. The rule of Jesus as king is the cause for this unrestrained celebration and joy that's talked about all through the scriptures. We desperately need, all of us, desperately need Jesus as our king. Most all of our problems and the troubles of our soul come from being under bad management. We are broken from bad decisions, bad choices, bad thinking, from living under, under the dominion of sins and sinful choices of things and influences that wage war against our soul. The, the gloom and the darkness, the heaviness of life comes from having no good king over us. And in Jesus, we, we finally have a wonderful and compassionate king. In, in Jesus, we have a king who loves and cares for us, who heals our wounds, who lifts us up from our sad, broken, sin-damaged lives. And so it is pure joy and happiness to have him come and rule over us. It's not a bad thing to submit to Jesus as king. It is a wonderful thing to yield ourselves to submit to Jesus as king. The apostle Peter said, you were like sheep who have gone astray. You're lost, you're confused, you're messed up, your lives are messed up. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Under the shepherding of King Jesus, our souls are safe again. We find peace and protection and prosperity for our soul in Jesus and under him as our king and shepherd. With Jesus as our king, we, we lack nothing, we fear nothing. I mean, truly it is a time to say joy to the world. The Savior reigns. A guy named Anthony Carter with Legionnaire Ministries said, in the Old Testament, the monarchy was established for the peace, prosperity, and welfare of the nation. The prototype king was David. No king was ever as beloved as he was. With David on the throne, the nation of Israel could say, all is well. Few things comfort a nation more than having a ruler of righteousness and strength sitting on the throne of power. And just as David was a good king and the people prospered under his rule, the son of David who sits on the throne of David, Jesus is the ultimate good king sitting on the throne of power. And under his rule, we can say, all is well.
The Old Testament prophets told of a king who would come and would satisfy the deepest needs and longings of the people. The prophecy in Isaiah 40 says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, lift up your voice with strength, and say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. He comes with power and he rules with might. goes on to say, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is coming to rule over his people with the same tender care and protection and attention to our needs which a shepherd shows for his flock. And he is coming to us as Jesus. That's the kind of king we desperately need. Inwardly, we long for that kind of oversight and care and protection. And that king is Jesus. Malachi 5, 2 says somewhat similar thing. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That is talking about Jesus. And that is talking about living in this massive sense of peace and security that comes from having him be shepherd and king over our lives. One of my favorite songs, Christmas songs, O Little Town of Bethlehem, proclaims the hopes and fears of all our years are met in thee tonight. Jesus comes as king to fulfill all the hopes that you've ever dared to have. He comes to solve all the fears that have ever tormented your heart. And this, this theme, this message that Jesus is king is at the core of what we call the Christmas story. Uh, the wise men from the, earth, from the east came to worship Jesus as a king. When they saw the child with his mother Mary, they fell down and worshipped him because he was a king. Then they opened their treasure sacks and offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were gifts given to Jesus because they were gifts for a king. This same theme of the rule and authority, the, the, the kingly nature of Christ's coming is evident in what the angel said to Mary do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end the, the message that Mary was given right from the beginning, the angel emphasized the greatness of Jesus, the throne of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, and that that kingdom would never end. And the main point of, of Micah's prophecy about Bethlehem, which again is a very well-known prophecy about Jesus, but the, 
the main point of Micah's prophecy is that out from Bethlehem will come a ruler, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Again and again, Jesus is coming as king. Jesus is coming to rule. And if our hearts and our minds are not fully awake to Jesus as king, we have a limited vision of Jesus, maybe even a false Jesus. And, and we won't know the unspeakable joy of his coming and reigning over us as king. When Isaiah gave the most well-known prophecy about Jesus' birth, which is our scripture reading uh, for this morning, at the time that he gave that prophecy about the birth of Jesus, the people of Israel were broken and defeated and their, and their land was desolate as it is described early in that chapter. The people were depressed and walking in darkness. But Isaiah chapter 9 begins, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more gloom for those who were in anguish or in distress. The people who Walk in darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. And you will increase their joy, and they will rejoice in your presence. And the reason given for this joy is in verse 7 of our passage. For, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. God's answer to our sin, to our darkness, to our gloom, to our oppression is a child, a son who will rule and reign. The government will rest or be upon his shoulders. And of the growth of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule over his kingdom, sitting on the throne of David to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forever. And there is great happiness from this passage in Isaiah because he's coming to rule. He will sit on the throne of David but there's great happiness because of the kind of king he will be. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's, he's, he's coming to rule, but he's coming to rule as a good king, as a good and a wonderful king, a king who would be to us all that we could ever want to need and ask for in a king. I'm just to take a few moments to go over each of these attributes of Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful king. That word means incomprehensible or inconceivable. His power and his glory are so awesome. His love for us is so deep. And his mercies toward us are so tender that we, we cannot comprehend them. Jesus is inconceivable. He is so good in every way that he is, all you can say is he's just inconceivable. He's wonderful. We stand in awe of Jesus, our king. Jesus is a king who counsels his people. He is counselor. 
we can go to him with our problems and we receive the counsel that we desperately need. Spurgeon said this about Jesus as counselor. You have gone to your master in the day of trouble and in the secret of your chamber you have poured out your heart before him. You have laid your case before him with all its difficulties and you have felt that though Christ was not there in flesh and blood, yet he was there in spirit and he counseled you. And there was such a sweetness coming with his counsel, such a radiance of love and such a fullness of fellowship that you said, Christ is the counselor whom I desire to consult every hour and I would, would that I could sit in his secret chamber all day and all night long. Jesus is a king who counsels his people. Jesus is mighty God. He is mighty God. He is no less than God. He is mighty God. He is powerful. He is all-powerful. He will defeat all enemies. He will defeat all his enemies. He will win all his battles. Nothing can stand before the power and the might of Jesus, our King. You can trust him to fight your battles, to help you in your temptations, in your problems and needs. Jesus governs as everlasting Father. He's the Son of God, but He is called everlasting Father. That means He has a Father's love. He has a fatherly way of being King over you and me. He has a Father's love and compassion for us. He provides and protects and cares for us as a Father. And Jesus is Prince of Peace. He's the kind of King who brings peace. Praise God. He's the kind of king who brings peace to our troubled hearts and lives. He calms our fears and our anxieties. He, he brings peace into our relationships, into our homes and marriages and churches. And he alone has the power to bring peace on earth. And of course, this child that Isaiah was talking about, this child who would be born was Jesus, and he was born about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, this Jesus that we know and love and serve is this king that Isaiah was talking about. And there is coming a day, there is coming a future day when King Jesus will be revealed visibly with power and glory to the whole world. But Jesus is king now. John described Jesus in Revelation 1 as the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. John viewed Jesus as presently king. He is king. He is ruler of the kings of the earth. And we are in his kingdom. He is now king over us. In Ephesians 1, Paul said that God raised him from the dead and placed him over all things, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet. 
Jesus will be king in the age to come. But Paul says he is king of this age or king of this world too. He's king of both. He's king of this world and of the age or the world to come. Believers in the early church proclaimed Jesus as king. This was one of their primary messages. And frankly, you don't hear it that much today. The believers in the early church proclaim Jesus as king so clearly. This was such a clear and important core part of their message. And they proclaimed it so boldly that they were charged with rebellion against Caesar. In Acts 17.6, it says, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here now, and they are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. I mean, I love it that they made that, that message. The message that Jesus is king was so much a part of their gospel that the Roman authorities heard about it and they were wrongly charged with rebellion, but nevertheless, this message was got out there that the Christians, they have another king. They've got another king. It's Jesus. One called Jesus. If you know uh, much at all about early church history or history in general, the, er, you know that the Roman Empire developed the idea of emperor worship. And they required everyone to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians would pay their taxes. They would be good, good citizens. They would do everything that Caesar told them to do, but they would not say Caesar is Lord. Because at the very heart of their faith was the conviction that Jesus is Lord. And many of them went to their death because they would not compromise this conviction that Jesus is their king, that Jesus is Lord. And I feel passionately that we badly need the same deep-seated, heartfelt conviction that Jesus is Lord. We, we badly need the same deep-seated and heartfelt conviction that Jesus is Lord and King over us today, over our, our hearts, over our marriages, over our families, over our lives, over our church, over everything. We need this just comprehensive understanding that not us, but Jesus is King. We must decrease, but He must increase. He is Lord and King. But yet we also need to realize that, that the full power and glory of Jesus is yet to be revealed. It is, it is not that Jesus will in the future become king. Okay? He is king now. But the full visible display of his authority and power is yet to come. Paul said there is a time when the Lord Jesus, this is from 1 Thessalonians, Paul said there is a time coming when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And it goes on to talk about dealing out, dealing out judgment and retribution. But there's coming a time when Jesus will be revealed. He's king now, but he will be revealed to the world as king in flaming fire and with mighty angels. He will come with power and glory. 
There is coming a time, Paul said, when every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that this Jesus is Lord. So as important as it is that we grasp that Jesus is King in our heart and over our lives, it's it's really important to see that Jesus is not only your personal king or my personal king. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is king and ruler of the seen and the unseen. He is king and ruler of this world and the one to come. Christ will take over the government of this world and indeed of the universe, the cosmos. Every promise that has ever been made about Christ Uh, defeating his enemies and ruling kings and nations will come to pass. He will put an end to death and sin and sorrow and sickness and pain. He, He will correct every injustice and he will right every wrong. There's one Christmas hymn, I think, that says, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Jesus is going to make that happen. And he will reign as king forever and ever. So how should this truth that Jesus is king affect our lives? And I want to go on from this point in the message and just dwell on this. What does this mean to us? What does it matter to you? How should it matter to you? How should this affect you and the way you live? Well, first of all, in an, just in an overall way, it must affect our entire outlook on life. I mean, it, how should it affect us? It affects everything. It changes everything. And our hearts desperately need to become saturated with the revelation that we are following the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As I said, we need a deep-seated, heartfelt conviction that Jesus is Lord and King. And you can often, you can often talk, and I'm not saying this to to condemn anybody, but you can often talk to someone for just a few minutes and know if they see Jesus as King or not. It just comes out in the way we live. It comes out in the way we think. It comes out in our response to life. It comes out in everything about us. Many see Jesus as a great teacher, uh, maybe someone who died on the cross, perhaps a healer, a helper, a friend, and he is all of that. And especially that he died, his Savior who died on the cross for our, sin, for our sins. I'm not minimizing any, any of that. He is all of those things. But we also desperately need a revelation of him as King and Lord. Secondly, the revelation that Jesus is King leads to a life of worship. Worship starts with what? It starts with seeing you. It starts with seeing Jesus as sovereign, ruler, and king. In the innermost part of your being, you you begin to stand in awe of him. You have this sense of wonder and awe in the presence of Jesus because you see that he is high and lifted up and almighty and all-powerful. 
sovereign ruler king and you submit to him from the very core of your being because of who he is because of coming to see who he is it just automatically puts you in a place of humility and submission before him when the bible says come and let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord who made us, you begin to say, yes, I want to do that. You worship him as the king of your heart. You say again from the Psalms, I will extol you, my God and my king. That's how you talk to him. I will extol you, my God and my king. I will bless your name forever and ever. Third, seeing Jesus as king means that we live life under his management. As I, as I said earlier, most of our problems comes from living under bad management. Seeing Jesus as king means that we live life under his management. It means that from now on, Jesus is king and you are not. It means from now on that Jesus is king and nothing and nobody else is king. Jesus alone is king. It means that you, you, you submit to him from the very core of your being because of who he is. Now, toward the end of his life, uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was interviewed by the press and he told the press in that interview that from, from the day that I had the vision of what God could do, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. That's what, ha that's what happens when you see who God is, when you see who Jesus is. Then he has all of you. We owe him our allegiance we owe him our loyalty, all that we are. A guy named Mark Connor, don't know anything about him, but I just read a blog by him. That he, and he said this, which I thought that was really good. Being a disciple of Jesus or a Christian is not just about having your sins forgiven and knowing that you will go to heaven when you die. It is about living life here and now under new management under the new leadership of King Jesus. So you be, when you see Jesus as king, you just, you just start, that's how you live life. You start living under the leadership of King Jesus. A lady by the name of Gail Irwin wrote, whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians caring for orphans or those rejected by family, I know that I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising and worshiping, I know who their governor is. I mean, having our lives governed by Jesus matters. It, it changes things. And sadly, we also see examples all around us of people who are not governed by Jesus as king. 
And we've seen those instances in our own life when our tongue or our attitudes were not governed by Jesus. And we've seen, we've seen and we've felt the, the chaos and the calamity and the pain it caused. Life is so much better with Jesus as king. Amen? He's, he's the only one who can govern your life well. You might think, you know, if I only had this person, if I only had that, if only this was going my way. Jesus is the only one who can govern your life well. And there can only be one king in your life. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. You know, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can serve Jesus, but in practice actually be serving something or somebody or some other influence. There can be only one thing or person that everything else revolves around. For some people, work can be king. Everything must fit around being the most successful at work. For some people, personal pleasure is king. Houses or homes or travel or simply what I feel like doing at the moment is king. For some, money is king. For some, even something as good as family is king. You know, family's first. We can't be inconvenienced with other people's needs. For some, anger is king. For some, insecurity is king. For, or some other addiction is king. But Jesus comes and says, I would be king over your life without rival. He must be king over our stuff, over our things, over the people in our lives, over our minds. And I think this is really important. He must be king over our thoughts and even over our emotions. We bow ourselves in totality before Jesus. Fourth, seeing Jesus as king frees us from the self-destructive reign of sin and self. He releases from the guilt of our sins at the cross. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? He released us from our sins at the cross, but he also released us from the practice of sinning, from actually habitually sinning by coming to reign over us in the power of grace in our hearts. Romans 6, 14, the ESV says, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Anthony Carter of uh, Legionnaire Ministries, whom I quoted earlier, said, as our king, he has fought our battles and now rules in such a way that sin can never reign over us. Sin reigned over us, but now Christ reigns over us. And it made me think of that verse from 1 John. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. And through the power of the indwelling Christ, through the power of indwelling, the indwelling of King Jesus by his spirit in us, we, we overcome we overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, even our own sin. Fifth, if Jesus is your king, you will, 
yield everything to the reign and rule of the indwelling spirit because that is how Jesus is with you today, by his spirit. This might be the most important point. Okay, so don't go to sleep. If, if, you're, if you're starting to fall asleep, just wake, wake yourself up right now. Dr. Stephen Alford tells how he came to know Jesus as absolute Lord or King of his life in a book called My Most Memorable Encounter with God. Stephen, Dr. Stephen Alford had a degree in theology. He was a chaplain in World War II, but he hungered for the presence of God and the power of his spirit. And so he cleared his calendar for two weeks and he took two suitcases of books with him. He took all writings of John Calvin and John Owen but he said the answers came to him from two brief passages of scripture. As I examined the text of, Isaiah, of Ephesians 5.18, within its context and compared scripture with scripture, I was struck with the sheer simplicity of it all. First, there was the initial acceptance of the Spirit's control. Be filled in the Spirit or with the Spirit. While the Holy Spirit is both contrasted and compared to wine he is essentially a person and to be filled with him is to be under his control this led me to second corinthians three seventeen, where paul tells us that the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty or where the spirit is lord there is liberty i had always accepted the deity of the spirit but I had never acknowledged his lordship. I knew that Jesus was Lord and had owned that lordship in an objective sense. In other words, kind of in an outward objective sense, I said, yes, Jesus is Lord. But now I saw that the lordship of Christ could only be real to me as the Holy Spirit was made Lord in me. This was the crisis point in my search for freedom and fullness in my Christian life. And without reading any further, I dropped to my knees and I yielded everything to the reign and rule of the indwelling spirit. And I knew there and then that I was set free. If Jesus is your king, you will yield everything to the rule and reign of the indwelling spirit because that is how Jesus is with you today, by his spirit. And that's how you show Jesus as king, by complete honor and yielding and obedience to the reign and rule of the Holy Spirit in you, the indwelling spirit. Then last, living under Jesus as king, is the life of happiness and joy that you've always longed for. For Jesus to come and rule as king over our lives is it's not surrendering ourselves to some heavy, dark, gloomy life. No, Jesus, or Isaiah said that the son who's going to be born, he will extinguish gloom. There will be no more gloom. 
He is wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. I mean, the very best thing about us is that we have Jesus as our king. The, the greatest thing that you have going for you, the greatest thing that I have going for me is that Jesus is my king and that Jesus is your king. And that's our highest joy in life. It's our greatest protection. It gives us our greatest sense of security and well-being that Jesus is my king. He's all that our hearts ever long for. He's the only one who can satisfy our inner longings and hungers. We find in him all the, all the things that we're missing and that we go searching for in other places. And that's why his coming as king, his coming to reign over us is the happiest news ever. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. That hymn written by Isaac Watts was based on Psalm 98 which I want to read for you in closing. Just, co just consider actually obeying this psalm, okay? Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous singing and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, Make a joyful noise before the king. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. I know it might seem crazy, but let's do this this morning. Could we? You know, if you can't, if you can't make a joyful noise, at least clap. And I don't mean, irre in, let's stand, but I don't mean this in any sort of irreverent way, but in the most holy and joy-filled way, let us clap to Jesus our King. And those of you that are a little more free, just shout glory to Jesus. Shout how joyful you are this morning. Let's glorify Jesus. Jesus, make a joyful noise before you. Amen. We're so happy to have you as our King. Man, it's the greatest thing we have going for us. Amen. Let's keep standing. You know, and that's not emotionalism. That's obedience. That's beginning to see who Jesus is to make a joyful noise before him as king.